Hello, everybody, and welcome to Getting Close with Mike Marback. That's me. Uh, and I am joined uh, for this podcast, for this episode of this podcast. Uh, let's just start this whole thing over again. Uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, bye, uh, my friend, Molly Scullion. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How How's are it you? going? I'm good. Um, so this is... Uh, you're familiar with the podcast. I am. I'm it's listening. me... Asking questions and the person who's here with me answering said questions. So that's what we're going to do here. <laughs> All right. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit more conversational than everything that's happened so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to start with uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. I like this time of year. What do you like about good. it? Um, What's to like? <laughs> I don't know. I, I love a good sweater. I love being able sure. to throw on a sweater. Yeah. Um, counting on not sweating at any point during the day is really nice. Yeah. I just I like the fall. I like the fall air. And there's I like a good apple too. It's one of my favorite <laughs> snacks. Yeah. Just a good apple. So yeah, it's very small things. How are you doing, Mike? I'm I'm good. Uh, I enjoy this time of year. Um, uh, it, but it was like 80 degrees last week. That's true. Uh, so That's this fair. time of year, uh, I just wish there was a little bit more of a transition. Uh, instead, it's it seems like it's happening more and more where we'll have summer and then we have fall mm-hmm. uh, within a few days of each other rather than just a gradual transition of seasons as, I don't know, things used to be, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but seasons, <laughs> they're pretty great. Uh <laughs> Uh, we have this, um, and I was just talking to somebody about this, uh, but there is, um, um, a, I don't, it's not a garden, but on my street, at the end of my street, there is a whole bunch of plants, like potted plants outside of a, and I live in a, uh, in a row house. Uh, so this is always, it's going to be out of place. Um, but it's one of those houses where that you happen upon once in a while, uh, where there's just a whole bunch of potted plants, uh, and it is like a jungle in the summer. Um, and there's bees all around and I hate walking through it. It looks nice. Um, and it's nice to see green on the street. Um, but in a matter of days, it went from green on the street to just like death. Um, so I don't know. Now it's not so pretty. I, I got a plant this summer. Oh yeah. One. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was very exciting. Did you buy it during a total eclipse of the sun? <laughs> uh, I, I, it, was, uh, it was quite the experience. I went to this local farm place by my house, and mm-hmm. they're so kind there and very helpful there. And I was talked through the thrill, fill, and spill of planting. Do you know about this? No. When you have a plant, you you have the, the potter, and you're supposed to put multiple plants into the pot. Mm-hmm. And you want one plant that goes straight up. That's sure. kind of like, that's your thrill. Yeah. Then you want a few plants that kind of go out, out and up a little bit, so not as tall as your thrill. Sure. But out and up. Okay. That's your fill. Yeah. And then you're looking at um, uh, some nice plants that just kind of hang over the side they grow and hang yeah um and that's your spill okay and it creates this beautiful thing and i had that all summer and then i left for a trip and i forgot to ask my roommates to water it for me i came back same thing every single plant dead other than the basil which was just like Mm -hmm. yeah huge 
Okay. So it's just this dead plant that has this beautiful basil growing out yeah. of it now. But back when it was full, thrill, spill, and fill. Yeah. It, really it sounds like a tagline to like a Toxic Avenger movie, like mm. a like a Tromaville kind of thing. Um, but it's not. It's plants. It is plants. Cool. Yeah, welcome back to uh, Green Thumb Podcast with uh, Mike and Molly. Um, no, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get close. <laughs> uh, how did you start in doing any of what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in general, like what what got you involved in in comedy or the arts in general? Sure, um, I'd say. If I really tried to track it, I, growing up I liked performing, but I was very shy. And I finally did a play when I was in eighth grade, and it was Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. And I Heard was Grandma it. Josephine, who, if you're not familiar, is sort of the spunky grandma of the four who are in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like a few funny lines, and I remember really hamming it up and just really enjoying that. And I think that started my obsession with oh maybe i can be funny i can be shy but i think once people <laughs> yeah. get in here they'll see that yeah. i can be funny yeah. and uh i became I, I was and continued to become a pretty big comedy nerd um that was around the time or shortly thereafter was when the the office was on um then you know 30 rock and parks and rec and all of that and that was a huge thing in my household so i just became sort of a nerd and then would I was particularly obsessed with Tina Fey. This is all, you know, your typical woman doing comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But (laughs) I was uh, obsessed with with all of them and sort of just looked up their past and found that it was all improv. Yeah. And then started watching the one accessible improv YouTube video of them doing it, which was that the UCB um, special that they did, that hour-long HBO Mm -hmm. special. Yeah. So I just rewatched that a bunch of times. Um, then weirdly enough, my mom had a coworker who was doing improv and just happened to ask this coworker one weekend, not mm-hmm. knowing that they did improv, um, uh, what they were up to. And Meredith Weir, now in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, said, I'm going to see an improv show. And my mom was like, oh my God, my daughter wants to do that, wants to get involved. We ended up going to that show, which was... <laughs> My first show was uh, Christina Gauss and Susan Messing. Mm-hmm. So quite a first show. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest is history. I just started taking classes, started coming to shows a lot with my mom. I started when I was 16. Um, so my mom was with me. It was a big deal when I finally got to drive to a rehearsal by myself or a class by myself. Uh, and then I just, I kept digging my claws in. I ended up going to school in Philly at mm-hmm. Temple University uh, heard of it. Heard of it, uh, which allowed me to continue um, taking classes and, and joining teams and stuff like that. And then I just got really lucky coming out of college uh, to fall into an open position at the theater. It was all very serendipitous yeah. from be- beginning to end. Well, beginning to current. Did you have plans to not stay in Philly until this? Yes, I did. I wanted to go to NYU. And why NYU? I wanted, I knew by that point when I was going to college is that I wanted to do comedy or writing or production somewhere in that realm. Sure. And so I got in, I I was very intrigued by NYU. I loved New York. I still do. 
and I got into NYU. It was the last school that I got my acceptance letter from, which was the beginning of April. And I was like dead set on it. I had seen it like in the fall. I was like, this is where I'm going to go. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to get in here, uh, which is a terrible thing to bank on. Uh, luckily I did. Um, but, uh, I was just like, this is it for me. Beginning of April comes, get the acceptance letter with no, um, money attached to it, which, you know, Mm. rumors are true. NYU is very expensive. Yeah. So sort of scrambled, decided I didn't want to be in that much debt if I wanted to do comedy. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I, scrambled because you have to make your decision by may 1st so i spent Mm. the entire month of april freaking out ended up visiting temple uh and loving it yeah and it was just like a very as i said serendipitous moment of like oh i really love this place Mm -hmm. so it worked out really uh wonderfully and i really wouldn't i wouldn't change that at all i still love new york if i ever ended up there i would love that but Mm -hmm. i'm so glad I ended up at Temple. Yeah. And uh, well, you're, you are in New York quite a bit. Too true. <laughs> yeah. One might say it's a second home. Um, I'm that one. Um, and I say it's your second home. Uh, so in college, um, what did you do in the way of, uh, in comedy to start kind of uh, digging those claws in? Well, I, right before I graduated high school, I uh, was cast on The Future. Um, so that was March of my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So I was on that team uh, through the summer and continued on that team throughout my entirety of college and yeah. beyond. So that was, that was a big way that got me more involved. Um, yeah. Uh, just real quick. Yes. Uh, this is one of the more interesting uh, conversations because usually when I'm talking to people and they're talking about college uh, or how they got into things, uh, there is a a much larger gap <laughs> or any kind of gap between uh, high school, college, uh, and how they found their way to uh, improv or sketch or you know depending on who we're talking to. Not the case here. Uh, which honestly, as well as I know you, kind of just forgot. Uh, and kind of forget, like, <laughs> kind of forgot that there was no real downtime in between those things. Like, yeah, you did. You got like as much as we've even talked about that recently because of the the future, which we'll talk about more later. Um, uh, yeah, cast right out of high school. Yeah. Um, so as you were, as you were yeah. saying, um, yeah, I have uh, vivid memories of being in high school when I did a fringe show called Myths and Monsters and I went from a Myths and Monsters show, I was president of my school. So I was required to go to like all the functions and stuff straight from a Myths and Monsters show to a mixer that my school was having in my uh, Myths and Monsters costume, which was pretty plain, but I just have this vivid memory of very much sticking out. Um, So yeah, I was definitely digging in even before I got to Temple. And then being at Temple just made it easier to go to shows all the time. Uh, Uh I was just, I think, soaking in so much more comedy. Mm -hmm. And now that I was on my own, not that my parents were ever hovering or, you know, suppressing my social life at the theater, but there was something cool about truly being there on my own, Mm -hmm. living in the city on my own, uh, commuting back and forth, being able to hang out, all of that kind of stuff really 
got me involved with the people more than just the activities of the theater. Yeah. And that just continued through all mm-hmm. three and a half years. Yeah. So. Uh, and you were involved in Smash, yeah? I was. I was. I was in Temple has an improv club. Um, the still to this day, going strong, started by Aubrey Williams. Actually. Wow! Yeah, friend of the podcast, yes, Aubrey Williams. Exactly, um, and uh, that's still going strong. Um, so I was involved with that a little bit, but had some schedule stuff with that. So instead, I got involved pretty extensively with Temple Smash, which is a. a Saturday Night Live for college, essentially. We would do it four times a year. It was a live studio sketch show, full up. We had uh, built sets, built costumes, had um, three cameras in the studio going, um, a full control room going, everything. Mm -hmm. So it was a really fun um, place to learn what an actual production was like while also getting to do comedy. It was a real dream and a half. Yeah. to be exposed to that as a college student. Yeah, maybe Aaron Sorkin will do a um, a behind-the-scenes, like he tried with uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. He'll do a uh, behind-the-scenes Temple Smash drama comedy. Yeah. Dramedy. Um, one day. And what what did you say your role was there? Um, I, I started as just a performer, um, and then my final time, my final bit of time there, I was the executive producer. Okay. So I... I ran it uh, my uh, final year there. And Caitlin also was involved in Smash. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah. She was, if I'm not mistaken, head writer Yeah. of it. That's Caitlin Corkery we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was, she was the head writer, not surprisingly, mm. uh, with her very brilliant brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I believe that was her role. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. so she, she was in the early days of it. Yeah. That, um, all of which are still accessible, which is so fun to watch. Yeah. Um, it's pretty well documented overall and kept. Where at? Um, they're on Smash's Vimeo account, mm-hmm. if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I haven't watched old ones anyway in a little while, but mm-hmm. uh, that's where they're all sort of held. Or, you know, 3AM TUTV, uh, find your local listing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be a very bleeped out version, cut down yeah. <laughs> all of our inappropriate stuff but you get the gist yeah uh so you mentioned myths and monsters yes uh and that was 2013 i think right 2012 2012 oh crap fringe 2012 okay uh talk to me a little bit about that uh that was that was a ridiculous experience that i had no business part of. Uh, <laughs> why do you why do you say that um nick gillette who directed it very kindly reached out to a group of people that he was interested in having audition for his show mm-hmm. it, it must have been a list for some reason i'm thinking that it wasn't BCC'd because I'm remembering like a list of like 30 people that he reached out to to audition he wanted to cast eight to nine mm-hmm. uh nine people were able to make the audition mm. so um because it's just a very busy time of year yeah. uh granted the nine people well the other eight people were fantastic you know real killers at the game already um at that point in time that was uh 
uh, we had Kristen Shear on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison Ziedman was a part of that. Um, uh, Emily Davis was a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a bunch of like uh, sort of big hitters were yeah. there, and and me. <laughs> I was just I would had just started my senior year of high school. Yeah, so you're like twelve. <laughs> yes. Um but it was a really, really cool and I think really important show for me on my personal improv journey to do. Mm-hmm. It was based around Joseph Campbell's um heroes uh story, um and sort of the, the general arc that most hero um, adventures follow, yeah. mm-hmm. and we try to recreate one of those every night. Sure. Uh, and we, we put on some really cool shows, some stuff I was really, really proud of. Um, but I feel like I, when I say I was really proud of it, I was like standing on the side, <laughs> like, these guys are really doing something good out there. Uh, <laughs> so, you're just a bit, um, shy, intimidated mm-hmm. to, to get involved. Big time. Yeah. Especially, and to this day, it's some of the hardest times I have on stage is being a part of any narrative show. I love doing it, but it's definitely the thing that scares me the most because when I perform with one of my teams, it's like, oh, this scene will end in two minutes. And if I make a really dumb choice, that'll be fine. And then it'll be over. Mm -hmm. But in a narrative show, I get so much more intimidated by my dumb choices. Yeah. Um, that's certainly gone away to a large extent, but at that point in time when I was, uh, 17, I was particularly concerned. Sure. Uh, cause you have done narrative. Yes. Uh, you did, uh, several years of stay dead. Yes. Improvised horror comedy. Um, how did you feel in those shows? I definitely recognized that I was not someone who would always push the story forward Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like editing and calling the next scene on and things like that, mm-hmm. which I think was partially my improv style, but partially the fact that I was not as much of a horror movie guru as the people I was playing with. Sure. So, um, and we had people who were so good at that. Um, but I, I think by that point I got very much, um, out of my own head yeah. and stopped judging my own choices. Yeah. Uh, especially with the, the Myths and Monsters cast was incredible. I was in my own way at that point, but and the um, Stay Dead was just such a fun cast that I was like, all right, we gotta <laughs> let's get it. Let's just yeah, have fun. Sure. Um, um, yeah. Uh, that's just one of a bunch of things that you and I have worked on for years now. Uh, and that show, uh, which I directed, uh, that was like pulling you into the show because mm-hmm. um, uh, that's how that show kind of worked uh it was not a fit a technically a fit show at the time uh some people approached me about directing it and then just kind of gave me full (laughs) control to handle um which i gladly took um uh uh, even down to the the naming of the of the show i just ran with everything uh and then just year over year kind of um choosing different people as other people were able or not able to do the, do the show. Uh, one of the reasons I pulled you in is just because, um, and we'll talk more about this uh, as it relates to improv, but, uh, just a good improviser for sure. But, um, acting like you, you bring the acting to the improvising. Uh, and that's something that, uh, is needed in 
any kind of narrative, but specifically in a horror comedy. Because I always say, like, the horror is first. We need people to react in realistic ways to things, um, whether it is the monster killer, whatever it might be, or the people that are um, on the bad ends of things. Um, so, yeah, if I never said that, that's one of the main reasons you were brought into the show. Other than great experiences working with you in other things, um, that's that's why you were there. I didn't necessarily know about the hesitations about narrative, um, but that wouldn't have necessarily been a concern. Yeah, I think at that point I had gotten out of my way. And honestly, the show Dirty Laundry helped a lot with that. Um, yeah. Which was a show uh, uh, a show about a family that was pretty much episodic, mm-hmm. um, but did have some stuff that became canon each show. So there was some sense of narrative to that. Yeah. But I think... Honestly, the character, getting to improvise in the same character for two and a half years uh, taught me a lot, I think, about, like, oh, we are playing real people. Even when I'm not playing someone for as many hours as I'm playing this character by the end of the run of the shows, yeah, uh, I am still playing someone that I consider exists just as long as this character does. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that really helped me to be like, oh, yeah, like... People are going to be people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Dirty Laundry, uh, Mm -hmm. directed by Steve, one Steve Kleinedler. How did that show come about? Um, Steve had the idea and approached um, David Danella and myself together anyway about playing the children in this show. Um, At that point, David and I were both considered very young for the community. Sure. So he wanted to have a combination of um, two younger improvisers um, with two older improvisers playing their parents um, with two additional um, older improvisers um, playing the um, two siblings of our, of the mom of the show, mm-hmm. um, which was really, really fun. And when I say older, I don't mean old at all. Right. They are the <laughs> youngest and coolest <laughs> older people yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was such such a fun show. So mm-hmm. he just kind of hand-picked that cast, and it just really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a ton of fun to, to put together. And we did a short run of it first to start, and yeah. then it turned into a monthly show for a couple years. Yeah. Um, and it's a really, yeah, it's a really fun one. Even the couple times that we've done, like, reunion shows where it's sort of like, where are they now with these <laughs> characters? Yeah. Uh, has always been a really, really fun fun thing to explore. Sure. Those people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I remember about that show, because uh, I saw a bunch for sure, uh, was it was always the suggestion of a month, I think. We didn't had that sometimes oh, okay and seemingly each one i saw was the suggestion of a month uh when you're working with uh steve and david in the same space <laughs> uh trying to decide what your suggestion question will be yeah. is a really really fun adventure um, <laughs> yeah because both of them i think in a fantastic way challenge that a suggestion can be more than just a word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of the time, half of our warm ups would be like connecting with each other. And then the other half would just be like, okay, <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. I can absolutely see David, um, 
even then, as he's learning how to improvise, <laughs> putting a lot of thought into what he's going to improvise based on. <laughs> like, yes. yeah. uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so study hall is another project uh, that you and I work on together. I direct, I directed study hall for, since it's beginnings with asteroid back in science festival days before it was even a show at the theater. Um, uh, do you remember when you got involved with study hall? Wow. Um, I, I, it was a little while into the revamp. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Um, but was it in 2016 sometime then? Might be about then. Probably. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Because um, it's definitely been about two years, if not more than that. Yeah, I think it's a bit more. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel like early 2016. Okay. Around there. Uh, and uh, that's a show where we bring in a professor uh, who does a lecture. Michael Udell does... Uh, the majority of the shows, the only time he doesn't is when he's on vacation, mm -hmm. uh, which is maybe once a year uh, that seems to line up with one of the shows. Um, and then there's Improv Inspired by it. Uh, what do you like about the show? Uh, um, what do you see different between doing that show versus, say, um, Dirty Laundry, Stay Dead? Um, any Any big differences, anything you like more? Oh, wow. This is pressure. <laughs> sitting here. Um, no. It's a, <laughs> I, I really love Study Hall. And I think for a couple different reasons. One, the cast just being as fun as it is. Um, and I think breaking it down into those segmented parts of like lecture, small montage, lecture, small montage, so on and so forth is really nice. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, it just, it just, it, keeps you out of your improv head to sort of like put everything on hold and then go back into, yeah. um, or essentially restart the formula. Yeah. I think for my nerd self, I loved lectures in college. Like I was, I, I genuinely, if it was a class I was interested in, I was like so down to just sit there and listen to somebody who knows a lot about something mm -hmm. be able to just tell me about it for a long time. I was I find that I find that so impressive. I find that so impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> I want to learn so much. <laughs> Do you know that Will and Grace outtake? No. Where the, the Grace is um, at, at the doctor's or the dentist or something, and they bring in. This oh. dental assistant who's gonna yes. do it. And yes. She goes, oh, I don't yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she just keeps cracking up. Yeah, you're being uh, attached. Yeah. Like, this is hard. Yes, I think you showed me that. Oh, now that's right. Yeah, <laughs> now that I, I do remember that. I probably did. Yeah. Um anyway, that's what that reminded me of. But yeah, that was that's always been a big thing for me, is just listening to people talk mm -hmm. about what they know about and love and care about. Yeah. So that aspect of it is just like such a fun thing to not only get to improvise off of this really fun stuff, but to learn something along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and and to sort of like almost to join the audience for a while and then be like, all right, we're going to hop up here real quick and do this thing. Yeah. Um, so it's just a very different show from anything for else. Sure. Um, and it's, it's always like a very refreshing time and a, a sort of show that I think obviously has a lot to do with the performers, but also feels like it just doesn't f fail. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just sort of like a really awesome formula. Yeah. 
to put up a show with and it's just really really fun to do yeah and it always does well <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean as as uh as many shows can kind of come and go uh and um audiences can kind of tire of it no one seems to tire of uh, that show, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we just had a show, uh, that was sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is f- going on five years into a regular run of doing that show monthly, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, so, uh, there are lots of different people that have done lectures on study, study hall. Uh, like we said, Michael Udell has done most of them. He's, I'm sure, everybody's favorite. Taking him off the table, um, are, were there any topics in particular that kind of stand out? Uh, because study hall, the one thing, one of the things I love about the show is that we don't necessarily shy away from um, like hot topics. Like you'll have uh, uh, Amy Danella. Uh, Who's going to be mine? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, well then go ahead. Who, um, let, me, let, let me take it back. Uh, uh, doesn't shy away from hot topics. So with that in mind, who would you say is uh, one of your... Um, uh, like a like a like a like a lecturer that kind of stands out. Uh, Amy Danella. Oh, yeah, did not sure. see that coming. Um, she just lives the, I, what I think is the most fascinating life, yeah. um, and is able to speak on it so well. Um, Amy Danella defends um, people who are on death row, yeah. trying to get them off of death row. Um, and it's a really, really fascinating thing to learn about. And her lectures are so cool because she's not, she's not trying to offer any take mm-hmm. on what she's talking about yeah. because it's just, she's in it. Like that's yeah. just what she does and that's what she's up against. So it doesn't feel like she's trying to comment on anything. She's just genuinely telling yeah. you about what she's going through and it's so clear how smart she is mm-hmm. i don't know i'm just amazed by amy Danella. yeah um so any lecture that she's done on the um show has just been incredible and fascinating to um learn about the law and the ways that she has been able to use that for such good yeah um, for sure has, has always been a treat yeah i like i was saying that was it's one of the things I just love about that show um, and just removing myself from it because I see all the shows, uh, of course. Uh, so just as a viewer, being able to see somebody like it's just interesting to have somebody there talking about the laws around the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Super serious, um, not funny topic, um, and she doesn't try to be funny. No. Uh, and then the other lecturers that we have uh, necessarily, don't necessarily try to be funny. They're talking about what they, they talk about, um, what they're experts in. Um, and then we do comedy inspired mm-hmm. by it uh, is so weird to me. Um, but that's one thing that I would say about that cast is that that cast is trusted to treat those topics with respect and know where the funny is uh, and and find the funny if things are super, super tough. Like even Udell has talked about race uh, and race relations uh, and all of those um, uh, just different things that can make people feel very uncomfortable. Like we do have lectures that, have, that can make people feel uncomfortable, um, which is good uh, in its own way. 
but then to have that comedy just kind of break break that tension uh, mm-hmm. each time, uh, and then find ways to tie stories from Michael Udell uh, talking about dislike of Trump <laughs> uh, and somehow working in public health things at the same time, uh, Amy Donella or other lecturers talking about death penalty law, and then some personal story mm-hmm. um, and find ways to interweave all of those things is one of the most interesting uh, things about that particular show. Yeah. Um, and I'm just talking about my one of my own favorite uh, projects. Um, But again, just like looking at it from a, trying to look at it from an objective thing. It's just probably just one of the reasons it continues to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, At what point did you start getting into teaching improv uh, or coaching improv? Uh, Because you probably Mm -hmm. coached, I think, before you started teaching. Um, You know what? I don't remember. Which I did first. Uh, they both happened around. I just kind of showed up, I... grabbed the class packet, <laughs> and uh, hoped that one instructor wouldn't yeah, show. Never looked back. <laughs> um, no, I do think I started coaching first. I started coaching Love Seat. It just doesn't feel like Love Seat was that long ago. Yeah, um, but it was. Which was really fun. I, which is always a weird thing. Like I didn't reach a point where I was like, okay, I know improv now. <laughs> it's time to tell somebody else how to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I was approached by this group um, to coach them. And um, I was like, okay, I, I'll give it a shot. And it was as much an audition for me uh, as it was, you know, or I should say it was, it was a, was both of us trying out each other in that first go round, and <laughs> I just really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed creating a, a lesson plan, for lack of a better term. I mean, mm-hmm. I was coaching, so not necessarily teaching as much, but they were young improvisers, so I was definitely embracing sure. uh, teaching them new skills and things like that. And I loved, I um, tutored all through college. I really loved tutoring. I taught Greek. Um, and I taught English to um, international students while I was at college. And I think all of that got me the bug of like sharing knowledge with yeah, people really bad. Sure. So being able to find this thing that I love so much like improv and and show that to other people or people who are newer to it became an immediate appeal. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily this feeling of like, yeah, oh, I have I have knowledge I want to, or I'm good enough now that I can coach or teach. It was more like, oh no, I, I know I have a good amount of knowledge and I want other people to have this knowledge too because I think it's good knowledge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started coaching and then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, shortly after I turned 21, <laughs> I was brought on to the teaching staff um, yep. by you. That's correct. So, um, which was so fun. I loved being able to teach. That was like, a, I remember that being a pretty big moment for me. Yeah. Um, was being able to join the teaching staff. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, again, it's, it's odd to me and maybe only me, uh, that you were being brought in at 21 with years <laughs> of comedy, uh, training, uh, and performance, uh, under, under your belt. Um, uh, but yeah, that was definitely one thing that I think we had talked about. It's like, you know, once you, once you turn 21, yeah. once you turn, let's get you, let's get you 21. And there are different reasons for that. Um, 
but yeah. Uh, so how did you feel that first class? I felt good. I had, I got really lucky with my first class. It was, it was a, it was a big class, um, which was just helpful as a newer instructor. Um, it was Saturday afternoons, like, which just felt like a very relaxed time. Mm. Um, it was really, really fun. And they were just a great group uh, of students. They were all down to play immediately. Um, I definitely wasn't perfect by any mm. means. I'm sure of it. Um, but <laughs> they're not all on uh, whose line or SNL now. No, I'm afraid not. Afraid wow. not. Um, only three or four. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was. It, I got really lucky with them just sort of immediately being behind me. I will say though, I did not disclose my age or do anything to give away my age. Like I. <laughs> Was you showed up like with a gray wig? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I some extra wrinkles. Gave myself crow's feet. Miss <laughs> um, Scullion, is your face melting? <laughs> I made them call me Miss Scullion. Uh, oh my god! Uh, but I always I, wore a trench coat. <laughs> You're tall enough. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, I didn't want them to know how old I was, uh, which was my own thing. But like, I was still in school. Maybe. <laughs> school? <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I started teaching. If I, I did. I was still in cl- in college, so mm-hmm. I like made sure when I it was my turn to share in the share circle that I was like. I'm not sharing anything. Don't, don't say your age. Don't, don't say, say your age. age. Don't say your age. I usually start everything. I'm 21. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Um, but I remember having some students come up because uh, that happened throughout my first few classes. I did that. Uh, and even so now, I still, you know, I don't think any instructors out there being like, hey, everyone, I'm 28. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check me out. 28 years old, um, yeah. But I just, I remember putting extensive effort into not find not finding any way to give it away even when it came to like talking about movies and how old we were when they came out i was like i was 50 years old yeah uh (laughs) so but i had remember having students come up to me after our full course was done and being like i just found out how old you are (laughs) Like that is not fair. Uh, when they gave you any class gift to give a certificate to like hot topic, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just how old you are. Yeah, yeah. Just a lot of Spencer's gifts. <laughs> it's all just novelty stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was like a very weird thing being so young, but I, I was I was able to get over it as far as teaching went. Like I felt very confident that mm-hmm. I belonged where I was in the classroom, but yeah. it was a very weird thing to get over at first. Yeah. Sure. Until I officially like graduated college and like felt like I was, had a full-time job and was doing the thing, doing mm-hmm. the adult thing. And I was like, okay, now I'm just here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that you lucked out with a kind of class mm-hmm. that was just really positive and, and whatnot. Um, uh, can you tell me what you feel the difference is? Cause like the different classes definitely do have different, um, vibes, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, well, what do you think causes that? Um, I mean, 
any class can become a really good class. Like, I, I don't think any class is ever doomed from the start. Um, right. Yeah. But I, I think it, I think it depends. That, like, you know, your instructor can be doing everything, and at some point you have to meet them halfway. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get a class where there's a couple people who just aren't doing that. Yeah. And it's for their own personal reasons, and I don't blame anyone for it. But I think if you feel like you're doing that to your instructor, being able to recognize that and either um, like pull away from the class or dig into it yeah. is really helpful. Because when people come to class and still aren't, if the instructor is giving a hundred percent and they're only giving 50%, it just, it, it's really, really hard to get the gears turning. And I, sure. and I get it because improv is so scary. Yeah. And I think that's often what a lot of things come back to, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's people, yeah, not giving everything and not being present in the moment. Yeah. Which is always a big rule I have for my classes is when you're in here, nothing else exists right now. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, I think that that often gets in the way. Yeah. That, yeah. That's uh, definitely big for me, too. Uh, because you get, especially in a one-on-one class, which I don't tend to teach these days, um, but I have. I, you know, yeah, I've taught many. Yeah. I taught many. Um, friend of the podcast, Fred Brown, uh, was in uh, one of my one 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 Take me to the hospital. Um, one of my one oh one classes, um, and he's still doing it. Yeah, you know, um, so it's not all bad. Uh, but that's a big thing for me is uh, when I'm teaching is just making sure that I do what I can to get across to people like this is our time our time mm-hmm. down here uh so try to shake off whatever happened uh or whatever you were doing before this um because there there are definitely things that can cause those um you know the class to not necessarily gel uh and the reason we talk about that in improv in my opinion uh why that's a focus for us um is that the more comfortable you are around the people in the classroom uh, the more chances you're willing to take, uh, the more safe you're going to feel, uh, and the more supported you're going to be uh, in the choices that you make. Um, so that's why there's a general focus on those things. Um, but you also have to recognize that you might just happen to have a class where everybody is driving from Allentown, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. cannot stay a moment past uh, class time. They have to leave right at nine o'clock or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, just trying to get a sense of what everybody, where everybody's coming from, sometimes literally can help, uh, you kind of narrow down what might be kind of screwing with, uh, the general vibe of a class, Mm -hmm. um, as an instructor. Mm -hmm. So as an instructor, uh, what would you say, is your, and, and this will lead into some of the other things that we can chat about. Uh, what would you say is your, could you have been doing this, uh, improv thing for how long now? Um, a little over seven years, a little over seven years. Uh, you went through the fit curriculum. Mm-hmm. What else? UCB curriculum. UCB curriculum. Um, those are the two full curriculums I've gone through. And then yeah. I've done a bunch of festivals across North yeah. America. So I've done uh, numerous workshops. Yeah. Um, read a book on, uh, you read a book, you read a joke book, I'm sure. Yeah. Captain Billy's whiz bang. Yeah. Um, bathroom books. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
so you've been doing this a while. What would you say is your have been your influences? Like you talked about Tina Fey for mm-hmm. sure. Um, uh, even if you wanted to um, uh, talk about why she is uh, an influence, that's fine. Uh, but what are some influences for you? And then how would you? What would you say is your kind of guiding general philosophy for yourself as a performer mm-hmm. slash instructor, not necessarily as an institution of the Philly Improv right. Theater, right? Um, I think Tina Fey in general is my sort of comedy, um, slash like woman in power role model. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, my, and I have many of those, but she really stands out to me in, in that regard. But, um, as far as improv specific goes, my top couple right now are both from wild horses which would be um which is a group from la Mm -hmm. uh it's lauren lapkiss and mary holland honestly also stephanie allen and aaron whitehead who are also in the (laughs) group all all of them um i think probably i lean towards lauren and mary because they're both tall Mm -hmm. um um, i'm the same height as both of them uh so that always makes me happy (laughs) Um, yeah like uh, I like supporting other tall women, um, but I really appreciate, as you mentioned earlier, which was very kind, uh, their commitment to acting and the the proper amount of carelessness with which they approach their improv, Yeah, um, which it, it com- comes from a combination of just like no judgment and confidence, I think, um, uh, that they have in their choices that are so specific. And when the most impressive improv to me is when you watch something and just say, everything that person said is true. Like yeah. every, there is nothing that there's stuff that might've struck me out of left field. Cause I never would have brought it up. But right. as soon as it was, it was said, I was like, yes, of course that's the case here. Mm-hmm. And I think both of them do that so incredibly yeah. um, in a way that I, will always aspire to do it. Um, so those, those are definitely my top two slash four at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, also just their connection to one another as improvisers. Those are your influences and kind of how, what they make you think about. Yes. Um, anything and, else and how that influences what you do and teach? Yeah, I think so. I think I struggle to sort of develop, to put a philosophy into like, you know, one to two sentences. Mm -hmm. But I think when I think about everything I do, it comes back to something that Sheila Master was actually the first person to point out to me, but as soon Mm. as she said it, it made total sense for how I approach improv, which is that every time I'm playing a character, I'm playing that character seeing the best in themselves. Like, I see the best in all my characters. So even if I'm playing an asshole, Mm -hmm. I know why that asshole thinks they might be a good person or that, or they are doing these bad things for this reason or whatever it may be. And I think you're Jean Valjean, but you're doing Mm -hmm. it, but you're stealing the bread because you got a family to feed. Exactly. Exactly. It was just a loaf of bread. Um, um, so I, I think that's really informed a large part of my core of improv, um, is, because I think even when a character sounds like me and isn't so different from me, I I am always attacking it from that angle. And I think approaching it with that in mind um, makes it so much easier for me to connect with other people. Because I think 
for the example of, of being an asshole, if you're just being an asshole and you're like, my character's an asshole and I'm playing an asshole right now, it's so much harder for you to connect with your scene partner. Yeah. Instead of it's like, my character's acting like an asshole, but this is what's going on yeah. down below. And this, so this must be how they feel about this person and how they're connecting. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that's very specific maybe, but um, how I feel like no matter what style of show I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing, that's always a real driving force for me. How would you boil that down? Um, I think just um, seeing the best in your characters, even if they're not showing it themselves. Okay. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey. Gonna put that in your improv book. Yeah. Um, put it on your bumper. Yeah. It's a two liner. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's get, you gotta, yeah. it's a little long, but it's you gotta just, you know, come on. it'll be fine. Yeah, we'll figure right. it out. Yeah. Um, we're smart people. Uh, okay. Uh, so you've been teaching for a couple of years now, a few mm-hmm. years. Um, uh, you were class registrar. Yes. Um, now you're the acting education director mm-hmm. of the Philly Improv Theater. Um, what is your job? Um, my job. And is... I ask that knowing because <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I did it. Um, I did it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do it. Um, I, my job is to run the training center. So, um, sc- scheduling classes, um, uh, working on curriculums, creating any curriculums, hiring instructors, um, sort of any instructor upkeep as far as training goes. If they break down. Um, if, they, yeah. if they break yeah. down. If their oil changed. Yeah, I got a toolkit at my <laughs> desk at all times. Um, yeah. That can be finicky. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, yeah, working with the instructors, um, working with the students. Uh, Sheila Master previously mentioned is um the class registrar mm-hmm. now um and she is awesome so she takes care of a lot of the registration side of stuff so i am focusing a lot more on the big picture sort of uh future classes future curriculums new instructors that kind of stuff yeah uh why the acting the acting in front of it yeah well that was because <laughs> this job was Somewhat uh, bestowed upon me, um, if you will. Yeah, um, I will. Um, in in that Mike Marbeck, uh, if you're familiar, uh, heard of him. <laughs> heard of him. Was education director, no acting. Yeah. Uh, moved over to um, acting artistic director. Correct. Uh, had a little crown bestowed upon him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, it was a Burger King crown. Yes. I found it, and I still have it. Um, and then I was bestowed the acting education director role yeah. um, as a sort of another word for interim, uh, yeah. I guess, in some ways, um, because we were just at a point where we were needing to go, go, go yeah. with the people who were already doing the stuff. You were already doing so much of the artistic stuff. Mm-hmm. I was already class registrar and handling a lot of the education stuff. Yeah. Um, and now... I don't know about you, but I love being AED. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I ask you that as an opportunity for us to help clear that up a little bit. Yes. Uh, because it's a question that I do get asked a lot. Why are you still the... What is the act... Well, first of all, like, 
what does the acting mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then why is acting still there after a year and some change uh, in these positions? Uh, what does it mean? Um, and my answer is basically what, what you said. Because I was not hired into this position, mm-hmm. I was uh, more or less asked to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no formal hiring process for this. So it's really just a um, HR kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, so there's that. Um, I also, I got no problem with the acting. No. Uh, I like, you know, uh, if something doesn't quite work out, well, what do you want? I'm just the acting. <laughs> yeah. Just the acting. Um, uh, so I'm fine with that. Uh, now with, with Sheila in place, uh, you've been able to do more in the way of, um, overhaul, mm-hmm. uh, of of different things, a much needed overhaul of curriculums and programs and whatnot. Um, and as we go into 2019, uh, I think today uh, a lot of that stuff just went live. Today we are recording this on Tuesday, October 16th. Uh, this will probably be out on the 17th or the 18th, uh, one of those two days. And um, but those things are now live. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, go to fitcomedy.com uh, and check out the classes because uh, what Molly is just about to tell us is all live now. Uh, so what's the what what changes are in store? Because well, first of all, walk me through uh, where things were and where things are going. Sure thing. Please can do. So um, the curriculums before now. Um, and still right now, still through the end of this year, um, build the improv curriculums. I'll be talking specifically about improv right now, um, are all built towards learning the Herald, which is an old, um, the oldest improv form. Uh, it's a a big, big deal. Um, and, um, a lot of theaters have Herald nights where teams perform the form, Mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And we, we do have, uh, Wednesday night teams that do the Herald right now. Um, but we also have a lot of other shows. So, um, right now that's the structure we're working in, but as Mike has done the nutch, nutch, <laughs> nutch. <laughs> the, nutch the much needed overhaul to, Oh, I wish the, you to finish that. <laughs> nutch needed. <meated. laughs> nutch needed. The nutch needed hall <laughs> of, of the, uh, artistic side of things. Um, I have sort of found that, th- that our curriculum's, as good as they are, aren't matching what opportunities are popping up for students. Students aren't just auditioning for a Harold team anymore. They mm-hmm. have plenty of opportunities. So yeah. my goal with these big changes is we're removing the Harold from the curriculum, from the core curriculum. Mm-hmm. And we're just focusing on in levels one through four, just putting on a really good show, knowing how to do a really good scene, putting all the tools in your improv tool belt um, is the main goal of those four, first four levels. So you'll still know everything you knew in the old curriculum. You just won't have learned these specifics, uh, the specific layout of the Herald, right. even though as soon as you learned the layout, you would have all the skills you need to do it. Yeah. Um, is basically my goal with that. So it's basically mm-hmm. learning, uh, just for analogy purposes, uh, learning how to, uh, cut wood, measure, uh, paint, um, what stairs are, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and then you can build any house that you, house that you want. 
yeah. not being given blueprints and saying build this house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but being but having the ability to do so because you learned all those other skills. Yeah, Is that yeah, how? yeah. Yeah, for um, all you uh, architects. Yeah, for all you there. architects or you carpenters. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, now you go. Um, all the the carpenters are going to and architects are going to okay, at me. Uh, they're going to at me um, and say how wrong I was, and that's not how things work. Um, and what happens with uh, 101 through th- what, uh, 301? Um, oh, talk to me a little bit about that. So um, 101 is now the same, mostly. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's now it's the same. Now <laughs> the same. Yeah, before it was <laughs> different, but now it's the same. Um, it's mostly the same. Um, there's, there's some minor tweaks, but it's essentially still an improv, yeah. intro to improv course. Yeah. Um, then our 201, which used to be half... Uh, focused on getting more into scene work, two-person scene work, and figuring out the nuance of that, and half focused on the improv concept Mm. of game, um, will now just be all digging into Mm two-person scene work. Um, So we're going to spread that out over eight juicy weeks. Um, uh, Adds a bunch more exercises in there, a couple more nuanced skills uh, mm-hmm. for your two-person scenes all thrown into that 201. So by the end of that, you are super confident in your mm-hmm. two-person scene. Then in your Improv 301 is where you'll start to see those concepts like um, game, um, working you know, with second beats, mm-hmm. um, tag-outs, walk-ons, that sort of stuff comes into play. And 401 is putting it putting it all together, adding some runs, which would be, you know, anything beyond second beats and uh, working on playing a little faster, um, making a bunch of callbacks in a row, um, that sort of stuff, um, as well as working towards um, a show where you'll do scenes based off of uh, monologues, true monologues. So it'll be a lot of work with premise play as well in that class. So that'll be the first class where you're starting to build towards some somewhat more of a form but it's still very open class where you're just learning um some different some different higher level concepts yeah um is what we're now we're now working with and then things like the herald things like specific forms like the herald or um a mono scene um or a pretty flower, or a form that somebody creates and they want to do a class on like you know we had a buddy cop um, uh, show pop up, you know, things like that. Those, if they, if people wanted to do a class on it and then performances of it, that would all go into our new conservatory section, which is what anybody who's graduated 401 can now take. Yeah. So, um, you're able to take any of those classes. You can take them concurrently. Um, you can retake them if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, for our students to just continue their education, um, if they so choose. It won't change, um, as far as auditions go, it's not changing any of our prerequisites. People can still audition after 401. Mm-hmm. But um, if people are looking to be in a learning environment more, which is something we've heard from a lot of people, that they want more class, um, and I'm like, I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, to give a, a little bit of uh, perspective, because uh, as we've said, I am the former education director, um, the uh, creator, along with um, the aid of other instructors uh, of those curriculums that are now getting revamped. Uh, this is a natural process. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that the theater has done every two years or so uh, where uh, things move around. It used to be the case that the Herald was 
in 301. And then we flipped those several years ago. Uh, actually, when I first started teaching and took over curriculums, when I became education director in 2011, um, uh, the Herald was in 201. The Herald was in 201. <laughs> 101 was the Armando. Um, wow. So... Yeah, it has been a gradual, a years and years long process of just making better improvisers uh, and being, because you, as a better improviser, as a good improviser, you can fit into any form. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter what that form is. Uh, you're going to be able to perform in it. Um, so uh, let's move on to uh, just some smaller projects. Uh, not smaller, um, but uh, less frequent slash shorter term um, in terms of how long they've been around. Um, you do a duo mm-hmm. with uh, Plon Jester. Correct. John Plester. Um, uh, called Den Mother. It is. Why? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, why would you do that? How did that come about? Uh, and um, why don't you perform more, I guess, is the... That's a good question. One thing I would ask. It came about when there was a group of boys. I will call them boys because I think they were all boys at the point that this all happened. um, From Temple who were much newer to improv than I was. But were, were a good group and they were really into it. And they wanted to form an independent team. Which they called Witch Academy. Mm. Um, They then decided that they wanted to ask me to join. Um, so I I did that because it was just a very, it was a fun, silly thing to, to do and they were really fun. Mm-hmm. So I joined them and we had one night where we were booked for a show and a bunch of people ended up not being able to make it. So it was just John and myself and um, Bobby Lang, who since um, moved away, but mm-hmm. um, the three of us were doing a show and we were like, okay, well, what do we call it since we're um not really witch academy i believe this is correct i could be uh, i know this show happened but i think this is where den mother mm. became a thing um john i believe suggested den mother and um he we then put on this show it was super fun we ended up in this situation like a month down the line where we were again it was john and myself and just one other person who at this time happened to be max Skolnick. All right. Um, oh, Max. Yes. I uh, miss Max. Still one of my all-time favorite shows. It was at yeah. the Arts Parlor, um, or Headlong now. Um, and it, it was such a fun show. We also called that Den Mother. And then Max, it, the intention was that the three of us would then be Den Mother moving forward. Max uh, was a real big shot, moved to L.A. Um, so D- John and I have just continued to do Dan Mother as a duo mm. um, ever since. Um, we just really enjoy playing with each other. We know each other super well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a best friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, we also are roommates now, so um, we s- see each other very often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a ton of fun to play with someone you know that well um, and who is also just good at improv. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really fun show when we get to do it. I love doing it. Yeah. Uh, John is, uh, 
very fun player. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just talked uh, at night. I rated an improvised horror comedy coming this Thursday, the 18th. Um, uh, we did a exercise. I guess it's an exercise. Um, we spent some time just talking about what we like about each other. Uh, and it was just fun listening to um, uh, all of the things that people like about him as a, as a player. Um, and how much I disagreed. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nah, he's great. Um, okay. Uh, and why don't you perform more? Um, well, we just keep emailing the, (laughs) (laughs) um, just, just schedules, you know, Yeah. they get packed up. Um, John and I are now also on a new project that I'm joining, which is, uh, well, he's been on it for a while. Dunk tank now dream tank. Yeah. Um, and I'm joining them. So that's, that's a fun way for us to know we'll get to play with each other. Yeah. Um, but Dan Mother, yeah, as it pops up, we, we just both have a lot of other stuff going on at the moment. But sure. anytime the opportunity presents itself, we're always down to do it. Yeah. The most recent one was just, uh, when was that? Uh, a few weeks ago on a Sunday. It was September something, I think. Yeah. Like early September. Um, uh, and that was with you and roomies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the hole in the schedule. Marbs needed to fill it. Exactly. Uh, called on uh, these two duos, uh, and that was a really fun show. Yeah, that was a really fun show. Um, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Dunk Tank slash mm-hmm. Dream Tank, uh, which is going to be doing a weekly show uh, starting uh, November fifth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Monday, November fifth, uh, weekly at nine p.m. Kind of picking up where the future left off. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now it's Bat Stevens uh, for the month of uh, October, um, but starting in November we got Dream Tank. What's the what's the deal? In in short, uh, I it's a uh, taking someone's dream, asking them about um, their their dream, dissecting it a little bit, and then um, doing a bunch of scenes based off of that. Yeah. Um, uh, in within the show, yeah. Um, I'm I'm just joining them. They've been doing this for a while. I'm super excited. Um, I have my first practice with them this weekend, um, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're such a fun group and the perfect really group are. to turn your dreams into a reality. <laughs> they really are. Uh, yeah. So so I'm really excited to dig into that. Yeah, it'll be just so different than any team I've played with before. Yeah. So. And coached by Fred yeah, Brown, Fred Brown. Friend of the podcast, Fred Brown. Uh, so the perfect mm-hmm. team to do that sort of thing. And IMO, one of the perfect people to be kind of helming that sort mm-hmm. of uh, endeavor. Uh, so that's, I'm very excited for that show. And the art for the show is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's Matt doing that. Matt Garen is crushing yeah. everything. He's, yeah. he's doing all the promo and um, graphics and all that good stuff. Yeah, so that's cool. awesome. Fantastic. Um, cool. Uh, how, what's up with Hooch? Um, I was trying to think of a better way to say it like <laughs> that wasn't as like, how did Hooch come to be like as the person who cast it? Um, but... Uh, what's what, what's happening? Hooch has been around for a year mm-hmm. at this point. Um, what's uh, what's going on? Well, we'll be doing Saturdays at 10 p.m. starting mm-hmm. in November, mm-hmm. um, and we're doing a show we're calling uh, Hooch in Hags, uh, and that's Hags the acronym meaning Have a Good Summer. So our show will be inspired by 
audience members past. Um, so they'll tell us the first and last name of someone from their school years, anytime in school, from mm-hmm. grade school through college or grad school, whatever it may be, um, someone they remember, and they'll tell us why they're so memorable. Yeah. Um, we will then sort of create that person on stage and do a bunch of scenes inspired by that. And that person will show up at some point in the show. Um, we have them here, right behind the curtain, mm-hmm. um, the whole time. Uh, no, but let's bring them out. Um, so they'll show up at some point in the show. Yeah. Um, and the, so the whole show is sort of just inspired by the things that Hooch discovers about yeah. who this person is. Yeah. So it's really, really fun. We're under the direction of Maggie Keegan now. Maggie Keegan Landis. Uh, Maggie Keegan Landis. Um, and that is, uh, really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's such a treat. Um, every practice is like, it's such a good practice, but also feels like you're learning so much yeah. every time too. So it's really, uh, a really great experience. Cool. All right. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that you had posted on, uh, on the Facebook, um, that Facebook actually recognized <laughs> Sheila which I didn't even recognize Sheila in that, in that photo. Um, so, uh, if you haven't seen it, look for the events. Uh, those will likely have, uh, that art. Uh, there'll be a poster around town. Um, uh, hooch in have a great summer Saturday nights, 10 PM starting in November. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just saw the preview. It's going to be a, going to be a fun time. Um, okay. Uh, how old is Decoy? Two? Two years? Over, a little over two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did... Tell me how you got involved with uh, the Decoy, because you weren't directing at, no. the, you know, at the start. You are now. Um, and what's the, what's, the road been, what's the road been like? Um, so the Decoy started... Uh, Brian Rumble was the director, and I um, submitted a packet and got chosen uh, a writing packet and was chosen as the head writer for the Mm -hmm. decoy um so then i became a part of the selection process for the writing team right um so i joined pretty early on uh in its development and created a really fun awesome group of writers um then brian then i left for a month um to go to italy real quick um, and then by the time I got back, Brian had, uh, cast our, um, actors, our awesome actors. Yeah. And we had this really, really fun group of, of people. And from the start, it was just, it, everyone jived really well. And I think we got, we got really lucky in that way. And that, and everyone's voices, although different, worked so well with one another's. Yeah. Um, so we started with a pretty traditional, sketch show, just a collection of sketches around a loose theme. And then slowly with every show, we continued to challenge ourselves ourselves in concept. So um, uh, we created a show that all happened within a museum. Um, you know, we created a show that was completely sort of a like Love Actually style show. Yeah. Um, we had a, a really fun Halloween show that was all sort of taking place in this weird haunted mansion-y style place. Yeah, Um, Uh, with uh, Brian's Bucks. Brian's Bucks, (laughs) yes. Um, Chris Berg playing 
the one of the many many roles he's yeah. born to play. She needs Brian Bucks the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's desperate for Brian's bucks. <laughs> it oh, still cracks me up. It's so funny. I still have my Brian's buck. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so so we worked in, into that. To, we just did a whole sketch show that was essentially an episode of a nutso reality television show mm-hmm. which is a ton of fun and now right now we're working on a um sketch show that's a little more um loosely connected but i think still has a lot of high concept elements to it yeah um so check that out coming at you in december december 7th 8th 14th and 15th mm-hmm. at 9 p.m i would be really excited um so yeah it's just it's been really really fun to push sketch boundaries um with this team over the past couple years cool yeah great yeah uh and it is it it does always come across as a very uh close group of Mm -hmm. of people and that is a very fun group of people as well um so in addition to uh having taught sketch doing the decoy you do your own on your own uh, Mm -hmm. one person shows um uh, one of which was myself included. Yes. Uh, which was more baseball-y. Yes. Um, uh, talk to me about that show. Um, about the show. So I, I couldn't even tell you exactly what inspired me to choose to do a one-person show, but I just I knew I wanted to do something that was like a little scary to me, um, pushed my boundaries a little bit, and I decided that I would do that through Mm -hmm. ways of a one person show. So I thought through what strikes me funny, what I know a lot about. And the first thing that came to mind is like little league, um, baseball, softball, um, dads are so funny. Um, how seriously they take this sport, um, coaches the same way. Um, the player dynamics are so interesting. Um, like, moms in the stand everything uh about it just fascinated me it's just such an interesting thing so i decided to explore that and i knew i wanted to do it in a very um character focused way since i felt like that's what i love doing and what i feel like i Mm -hmm. where my strengths lie so i just developed these you know i guess it was six or seven characters who all exist in this Little League Baseball world um, and sort of rotated my way um, through them. Honestly, I came up with the... The first character I came up with was the character that transitioned me to every other character. Um, was just a mom who had to keep getting up mm-hmm. and going to get stuff. Yeah. Um, was this the uh, weekend? More like week beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That was, that was... I was proud of that line. Uh, <laughs> um... But yeah, so I came. I honestly came up with the transitions before I came up with anything else. Yeah. Um, and then and then worked from there, and that was a really really fun show to do. And I think once I felt the reception that that got, and the fact that that worked, and that I could own a stage for you know twenty twenty five minutes, mm-hmm. it it got the bug going. I think mm-hmm. to keep to keep pushing that yeah. um, even further, but. Yeah, I loved I loved doing that show. It was so yeah. fun. Uh and you pushed it. 
you, you pushed it, it sure far uh, with uh, I'm Okay, Are You Okay? A show that's been performed now, uh, I don't know, like eight times at FIT, if not more. More. Um, uh, and also in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so talk to me about that show. Sure. Uh, um, and what what did you bring in from uh, myself included? Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to her, like you know your real world things, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, with that show, that that sort of developed in a very different way and came from a very um, uh, personal space to start, which was that the. I, I remember it vividly. The day after election day, um, yeah. I sent an email to Jess Snow, the artistic director at the time, and Jack O'Keefe, the still now uh, sketch producer, mm-hmm. and was just like, I, I want to put up a one-woman show. Um, uh, is there a time I could do it? Um, uh, I, I know I know what I want it to be about, like so on and so forth, mm-hmm. and was able to honestly set a date before I had anything written. Um, <laughs> which I mean, I, I this happened obviously in November mm-hmm. uh, around Election Day, and then um, I scheduled it for February, yeah. so I had a few months. And but I just wanted to get it on the books because uh, it was like an immediate response I had. Yeah. And um, so I I ended up writing this show about um, my childhood trauma. Um, of, of being molested as a child and because I found so much of it funny as I was dealing with it, this was a repressed, (laughs) this was a repressed memory for me, which means that it happened. Um, and then shortly after it happened, um, my young brain at the time couldn't process it and send it deep, deep, deep into my unconscious until I was 17 as I was, um, you know, getting on all these house teams. <laughs> um, yeah. This also resurfaced, um, and I finally had to deal with it. So I ended up writing the show about that process of dealing with it, and it was essentially a full calendar year. And not that that was the end of dealing with it by any means, but right. um, that was the bulk of of my beginning stages of dealing with it. So. Um, I wrote this show about it because there was just so many elements to it that I wanted to laugh at. Yeah. Uh, and I had a cousin of mine who went through, um, who was diagnosed with cancer and went through chemo and is doing great and is incredibly strong. And I just remember there was this openness, um, because everyone was aware what was going on, you know, we'd go to see her in the hospital. Obviously, nobody's ignoring what's going on. And she was so down to joke about it, um, so down for anybody to make jokes at her about it, all of that. And I remember, like, I just started to crave that same thing um, uh, with my own thing. Not that it's in any way comparable, but mm-hmm. I think that um, it made me start to think of everything that I just found so funny that I wanted to laugh with. Um, at somebody. So, um, I ended up writing a show that was nearly the opposite of myself included in that it was not a character at all. And it was yeah. myself talking for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, if I'm being truthful about this show, I <laughs> had been writing, um, a, this sort of ongoing word document. Anytime stuff popped into my head, I would just do a free write. Um, so I had a pretty long word document that was just like a mess of, of <laughs> stuff that wasn't even necessarily funny, but just what, what came to mind at the time. Um, um, and did inform my show later on, but 
and that that was going for like a a year or so before um the show happened but when it came time to actually write the show um i put it on paper the sunday before the first performance <laughs> like um i i really i never would have written that show if i hadn't booked the show first yeah like i, I don't think it ever would have actually happened um because uh, weirdly enough not the easiest thing to write about mm-hmm. um but i think it was so i'm so happy i did now sure um but I don't think I've ever been more nervous than before that first performance. And honestly, the thing that was going through my head was, this show is so boring. Uh. <laughs> like, everyone is going to find this show so boring. And I think that's what I didn't know about autobiographical writing, is that you're writing about yourself. It's all stuff you already know. You can't surprise yourself with the humor of it. It's all mm-hmm. stuff you've already experienced. Yeah. So it was like, it was very hard to separate yeah. my memory from For what sure. the show was. Yeah. So it was a very interesting experience on a personal level, on a writing level, on mm-hmm. a performance level. Everything about it was really challenging in a really cool way. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and for me, uh, just speaking as artistic director now, uh, it's one of the things I think, uh, is an inspiration for what we put on stage. Uh, cause I remember seeing the show and talking to people afterwards. I was like, this is the kind of thing we need to do more of, uh, at, at fit, uh, things that are, um, uh, that kind of blur the lines a little bit, uh, that's, that can reach, not just, um, make people laugh. But uh, reach into them and, you know, and reach out and, like, grab people and, and shake them and be like, look, yeah, life is fucked up. But it can still be very funny, too. Uh, you can, just like study hall, you can laugh about some of the insane shit going on in the world. Um, and But you can also still learn something from it. Mm-hmm. Um and with uh, with this particular show, like you can learn very personal details about somebody uh, who is telling you, like you even say at the top, like this is a comedy. <laughs> like, it is okay to laugh. Um, it'll hurt more if you don't. Um, uh, so just like having more shows like that that are, um, it's the it's a Philly Improv Theater. It's a comedy theater, but uh, I want comedy in all forms. Uh, so I always look to that show as something that is what we could be uh, and are doing more and more of. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's good. Uh, how was Chicago? It was great. Uh, it was terrifying. Um, when I was in Philly, I had the comfort of being in a theater I'd performed in many, many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that at least I knew, you know, 20 people in the audience. So yeah. I, I would know. Scullions and MacGuffins. Sure. Scullions and MacGuffins. <laughs> they're also usually the tallest of the crew. So they're just taking up even more space that way. Yeah. Um, Sitting behind them. Oh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, one of my all-time favorite moments is my mom sitting down in front of a woman, um, at Les Mis and her just going, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, and just for the moment, if, if, if I may, uh, 
What a welcome presence, uh, Scullions and MacGuffins in the Philly Improv Theater audiences. Uh, and uh, Maureen Scullion specifically, mm-hmm. not just an audience member, but one of the most consistent audience members. Mm-hmm. Uh, also handles uh, as the outside HR uh, consultant for uh, the theater. Uh, so the Scullions are embedded mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in, in the system. Um, yeah, she, she also, speaking of the show, was the only person to read it slash contribute to it before, um, I did that first performance, um, so I consider her a, um, a contributing writer to it. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, cause she also, you know, plays a role in it, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not a literal role, but in my life. Sure. Um, obviously. Um, so, yeah, like in, in Philly, I had that crew, um, that even though there were plenty of people, I had no idea who they were in the audience. I knew I had my core crew there. And I did have some people who were kind enough to come to Chicago or that I know in Chicago who came to the show. But it was a much smaller uh, percentage of the audience. Yeah. And it was pretty terrifying to be like, okay, I'm really doing this show for people who don't know who I am um, mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, even in Philly, it was like, you know people who didn't know me still knew like oh but molly's been performing for a while and okay yeah i would definitely go see your show it's like in chicago it's like i had no business for all they knew to be there um so that was pretty terrifying but it went really really well um very well received um and my absolute favorite part about this show is people coming up to me and just telling me um that they're that it made them feel okay laughing at this thing. Yeah. Um, uh, because this is like the topic of, uh, not to go too far on a tangent about this, but like the topic of like child molestation in particular, it is so taboo, mm-hmm. like so unreal in a, in a way that it's like, because we've all decided like, yeah, it's, it's no good. We're like, okay, then we don't need to talk about it, yeah. which is not the case. Like every person who's experienced it, needs to um and needs to be okay laughing about it right like we all kind of know what you say when someone gets sick when someone's parent dies you know it's still not easy but you have you have some lines to choose from like that's not really the case with this yeah um and uh you know and i think it's great that we're starting to talk about um uh sexual abuse and harassment on the adult level but it's really not Mm -hmm. reaching the child level it's starting to the gymnasts the u.s gymnasts who talked about it like were incredible and really brought a lot of light to it but i think so i think the the coolest thing about doing this show is is having people be able to laugh about it having them come up up after and tell me um uh things that that they've gone through not that that is cool to hear (laughs) but the fact that they feel comfortable talking to someone about it right um is so awesome. And that, that even happened in Chicago a couple of times. And that was just like, okay, like yeah. this show can work yeah. anywhere. Um, anywhere that's an extensive <laughs> term, but you know, but it, like yeah. it, it can work in another place. Next stop. <laughs> Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a really cool, you're going to be performing for the thing. Opportunity. Um, uh, yeah, that is an interesting point. Uh, that, uh, yeah. Cause it is, it is of course, very taboo. Uh, and there is, uh, with, uh, the last, uh, year or so increasingly more, um, the awareness, uh, and dealing with, uh, the adult side of things. Mm -hmm. But it it is weird that, uh, there were hundreds 
like, or was it, was it like hundreds of gymnasts uh, under, was it Nasser, Larry yeah, Nasser, or whatever Larry his name Nasser. was? Um, it was at least a hundred, if I remember correctly. Um, and then you have the report about all of the uh, Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an uh, Oscar thousand. What's nom- up? We had an Oscar award nominated or winning movie uh, Spotlight. Spotlight. Yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah like- uh, so you have these huge stories with hundreds of people, uh, uh, hundreds of kids, uh, and then the uh, Catholic Church with that report is like over a thousand uh, people over um, decades, uh, and then you don't really hear about it uh what the follow-up is what their stories are but when it comes to the adults uh it is in your face uh deservedly so um but it is uh yeah it's not really yeah you don't you don't hear yeah you hear the spectacle and you don't hear the story yeah um like the closest we really got to that was with uh with the gymnast was like ali reisman's story but that was because of who she was as the face of right gymnast but like i i mean i personally listened to um many of their testimonies and like heard their stories because i think which um i think i posted at one point and was like just listen to their stories like that's 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 your only job here is to like they have to deal with it we should have to deal with it too you know Mm -hmm. um to to some extent um because i do get the idea of self-care um you know and not totally overwhelming your stuff yourself or completely you know just spending all your time with that but yeah. i think it's important to hear the individuals um because yeah. it is yet yeah, such it's 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 the bigness of it happens and it's like oh my gosh that is such a bad thing <laughs> yeah. like oh, good thing that uh came out all yeah. right like <laughs> see you later let's read yeah. even more Glad about this fixed. individual <laughs> yeah. like yeah. there's no more case. of that yeah uh, so it's it's a very it's a frustrating thing, quite honestly. Um, especially after doing a show yeah. about it, and people still not feeling comfortable talking to me about yeah. it. And I'm like, um, and and I get it. Like mm-hmm. it's a societal thing. I'm not blaming any individual, but it's like I I just talked about it for 45 minutes and laughed at myself, and you know didn't make light of the situation, of course. But obviously, I'm cool talking about it. So yeah. like, I want people to feel. Like, they can ask me questions about sure. it, that they can have a conversation about it, because I think it's important to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like one of those, uh, like a mental, like talking about mental illness uh, mm-hmm. or seeking help for mental illness. Um, just the general judgment that people feel is going to be put on them uh, for wanting to ask questions about yeah. it or feeling like you're suffering from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I got no answers here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're not looking to, I'm looking, I can't fix this. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. Yeah. That's, um, that's a weird thing. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for doing the show, uh, and, um, kind of getting, getting into it. Uh, do you have any future plans for, the show or is it kind of on on rest now it is on rest i mean it is um as as much of a high as it puts me on immediately after (laughs) and uh um how much i love talking to people after um the the emotional hangover after that is pretty rough 
And honestly, just practicing it and like the part where I'm not getting rewarded and I'm just re-memorizing everything is really exhausting. So I, I try and pick and choose carefully when I'm going to put myself through that again. So right now, yeah, it's on rest, but I I never say never. I love that show and I'll stand by it for a long time. Okay. Uh, we haven't talked about, uh, Oculum. Yes. Oculum is a show that you direct. That's correct. Um, what's the deal with Oculum? Well, you see, (laughs) uh, Oculum is a team, um, or show that I, that I formed based on a show I got to do as part of the international ensemble at Improvaganza, which is a big awesome improv festival out of Edmonton, Alberta. I highly recommend that to anyone. Um, if you have the opportunity. <laughs> I highly recommend getting accepted <laughs> to get accepted, this festival. <laughs> um, um, get all of, get in, you know, it'll be really yeah. fun. Um, so I did this, a, a format similar to this and I loved it. It's all formatted around relationships. And then you have, you have two people in the scene who are within the relationship. And then um, two people who are playing their ghosts or their shadows that are essentially showing all their actual inner thoughts. Um, so they're, I sort of think of them as the no filter versions of the people in the scenes, um, which is really, really fun. And they kind of have free reign to, um, act out what they wish the person in the scene was doing, um, uh, interact with the other ghost character, interact with the actual real character, um, uh, which is always just a fun improv thing because the real characters are trying not to pay any attention to the ghost characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it sort of uh, goes through a form where then um, after a few minutes, the ghost characters become real characters of their own in a brand new scene. Mm-hmm. They're in their own relationship um, and brand new ghosts come on to play them and it circles through um, a few times that way. Um, and it's such... I just think it's such a cool show. Um it's a really cool concept to play with, um, like seeing the mind acted out mm-hmm. almost, um, especially under the who, umbrella of relationships, um, where so much is going on. Yeah, it's it's a really fun show, and it I just I'm so proud and honored by the cast that agreed to do this show um, because they're just better than I could have ever imagined um and take it are not afraid to um push boundaries and Mm -hmm. and take it anywhere Um, so it's a really 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 fun show to do and i think it's a a special crew doing it yeah it is a it's another show uh that i that i feel does kind of uh push the kind of comedy that Mm -hmm. we do at the theater now uh where it is not necessarily going to be funny all like for 50 minutes or 60 minutes. Uh, there may be times where you are very sad about what's happening on stage. Uh, but the people are in it are so good that even in those moments, uh, there's going to be humor that gets found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times that will come from those ghost characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything is in a, um, Everything is protected uh, in terms of uh, the like the, the audience is protected mm-hmm. in in a way if that makes sense. Um, like you're you're going to feel things throughout this show, but 
it'll be okay. Yeah. You'll be okay. Um, they're okay. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, another one of those things. And the, the fact that it's connected to you, uh, and that's the kind of style that is now coming coming out, uh, I just think is kind of makes sense. Kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, wonderful. So, check out. And that's uh, those are Saturdays at 7 p.m. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so, check out Oculum, yeah. uh, improv-inspired by Relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fun show. All right. Uh, now, uh, I think I'd like to uh, tiptoe toward an ending mm-hmm. um, because this is coming out uh, on or shortly before uh, the Halloween run of Once More with Feeling. Yes. Uh, which is uh, Fitz's staged version of the musical Buffy episode. Mm-hmm. Um Talk to me about that. What's the deal? It is so fun. I'm it is. playing I've seen um, it. Willow, uh, who is you know Buffy's one of the members of the Scooby Gang mm-hmm. um, and Buffy's dear friend, and uh, it is a blast. The cast is so good. It is made up of a majority of people who are not um, uh, fit people, right. which is just cool. It's cool or to comedy meet. people or in comedy general. People at all? Yeah, it's really cool to meet new people um, who just found this audition and are just rocking it. Um, yeah. I think Carolyn Beatty, who's directing it, has done a really fun job of turning it into a stage production. Yep. Um, there's a lot of fun little things we've added as little shout-outs to the fact that we're doing it on stage. Yeah. Um, uh, shout-outs to other musicals. Um, yep. All that kind of stuff that I think yeah. just makes it its own thing, even yeah. though it's a, an episode of Buffy. Um, but yeah, the cast is just really, really cool. Um, uh, we're just doing it with, um, a, uh, pianist playing with us, but Mm -hmm. even, even just having the music live rather than tracks just feels really nice. Um, and I think it's, it's been really fun to stretch, uh, this low budget production as, as far as it can go. And I think it's really become something that I'm like, wow, this is a... This is this feels like a really cool yeah. big big thing. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh it is. I saw it last night. Uh and uh you know this. Uh I am a very big Buffy fan. Mm-hmm. I've watched the show at least twice all the way through and seen many episodes many times. One none more than once more with feeling. Um and I wanted to do the show last year, um, shortly after I became artistic director, um, acting artistic director, excuse me. Um, uh, just got the thought to do it too late. Um, I had, I got so far as to order the book with the sheet music in it. And it, by then it was just like a month before Halloween. And I was like, ah, it's just too late. Um, but this year, also, I was just too busy to be doing it myself, mm-hmm. um, so I uh, asked Carolyn mm-hmm. to to direct, and boy, was that the right move! Um, yeah, like you said, she's done an amazing job with this with this show, and it really is a like you said, a, a stage adaptation. Yeah, um, it is a, and it, it if you are a Buffy fan and listening to this, uh, you're going to enjoy this show. Uh, just don't go in like. Um, any fanboy type of thing, <laughs> expecting everybody to sound exactly like that or look exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we purposefully made changes to this to just break out of a mm-hmm. lot of that stuff. 
Uh, and it, it is a uh, really, really fun stage adaptation of Once More with Feeling. Uh, and TBH, get your tickets. Because uh, it is selling, with the, it is running for six shows, uh, and it is selling very, very, very well. Um, at this point, I, I would be surprised if each show did not sell out. Mm-hmm. If if the run to be to be clear did not fully sell out, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, anything more to say on it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just. Uh, I guess the the one other thing I'll mention is that we we also Carolyn brought on um, uh, two people to music direct and choreograph the show, mm-hmm. which just upped the game yeah. hugely. Yeah, um, the fact that we just had. Two people who were so good at their crafts yeah. and were able to um, really turn it into something. The dancing in the show is mm-hmm. so cool <laughs> yeah. and yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Colleen is awesome. And then Liz uh, taking us through every song and mm-hmm. and figuring, figuring it out. Because honestly, just Whedon, who knew? Uh, <laughs> that kind of music and um, uh, write some like really... Fun, but cool, but um, not the easiest harmonies for people and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, having Liz to just take us through that um, has been great. So it's just been like top to bottom. Mm-hmm. It's just been a really awesome experience yeah. to be able to have at Fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and another show that uh, is it, just different mm-hmm. for us to be to be doing there and she's done an amazing job uh and as i understand it the halloween show has something special it does so now we are encouraging everyone to come uh dressed up um in any costume it can be a buffy costume it can be whatever um and if you know the words sing along to the songs it'll be a sing-along um so we're gonna have a lot of fun uh rocky horror-esque uh evening um, on Halloween, so that'll be a really, really fun nice hour of your Halloween extravaganza. Uh, I told Carolyn that I was going to wear a uh, wireless microphone <laughs> to the show. Um, I wanted to be in it myself, uh, just too damn busy. Um, as talked about throughout this entire episode, uh, I wanted to end with uh, a little team uh, called... Of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had mentioned uh, a couple hours ago at this point, um, <laughs> I don't even think that's joking, um, that you were cast on the future while you were in high school. Mm-hmm. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I was cast, cast on the future catched. in March. They catched. caught you. I was catched. Um, uh, I was cast on the future in March of my senior year of high school. We debuted on May the 4th. I only remember it because it was May the 4th be with yeah, you. Sure. Um, of that year. Mm-hmm. So I would come to practices often right from my softball practices or yeah. my softball games. Mm-hmm. So as many... Molly Scully with a suicide squeeze. Yes, that is me. Um, <laughs> uh, as many members of the team will recall, I would show up to practice, to future practices in our... In my uh, softball uniform. Uh, was it all dirtied up, too? Like from oh. the <laughs> Well, if it, it was dirty, I would usually change. Um, into was, a different softball uniform? It, <laughs> it's just my comfy clothes. Uh, 
Um, if it was dirty, I would change. But um, yeah, so usually, well, usually what would happen is I would um, take off my, uh, I would wear a t-shirt instead of my like button down uniform shirt mm-hmm. um, uh, with my softball pants and like bright socks and just a pair of sneakers. Um, it's a very cool style, but I got tired of trying to change and it just wasted time because I've sure. been running late. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't. Um, so, so yeah, so I started with them in high school. I think it probably took me only like eight months to finally do a scene. <laughs> That's a lie. But, um, I definitely had that hesitation, um, at first with them sure. because again, I was just playing with a number of heavy hitters Yeah, and, um, uh, but I think once I got comfortable, um, which I think honestly started when you came on as our director, um, and Caitlin came on and you specifically started to push me towards that. And, um, uh, I think we just were all connecting more as a group. And so I think, I think it did take a few months for me to really find a spot. And even so it's, you know, to continue to work on that. But I think, uh, I had to work on that for years, but I, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was, it was immediately, I was just like, Oh my, I'm watching and learning right now. That's all I'm doing at the the beginning. Cause we were a team that had like, some really heavy hitters, and then some of us who were much newer, right. um, and very little in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was a, it was an interesting interesting crew, but yeah, we ended up finding our way through a number of uh, losses. Yeah, um, uh, we lost a few people. Brought on Caitlin Weigel, um, which was huge, and we stayed in that iteration for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, until uh, Andrew Stanton left us, mm-hmm. and then Anthony Carter left us, mm-hmm. um, and we brought on um, Rob O'Neill, mm-hmm. the easiest decision ever made in yeah. life, um, was bringing Rob O'Neill onto the future. Yeah, and then it's been it's been that way since. Um, we have not um, added any more people. And in my opinion, though, two of them have moved across the country. We have not lost any more yeah. people. Uh, I would, uh, I would feel the same way. Um, and I was, uh, well, the future had, has had its, uh, the future ended its regular run. Yes. Uh, and I was very, I was pretty adamant about like anything that we, that we did. Uh, and I say we, uh, cause I haven't technically, directed the future in a while now um but i also haven't really stopped at the same time um uh i was pretty adamant about uh anything with the end of this run not being like the future's last show um because uh yeah i don't think you're you're around um caitlin's around rob's around uh david comes back uh, fairly frequently. Kristen had just left. Uh, I'm, you know, there will be another future show in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but talking about the, uh, experience, um, a little bit more, uh, in depth, um, uh, what were some of the more fun things, uh, that, that kind of popped up over the, uh, over the years? Are there any scenes in particular that always, that always stand out? Uh, the future had the run with uh, Big Baby mm-hmm. on Tuesday nights uh, after Saturday night being moved from Saturdays uh, and then Monday nights with the future presents. Uh, so there is five plus years of 
material. Yeah. Um, but what are, what are some things that kind of stand out for you? It's so um, specific, but officer officer Ortiz sure um, would show up very frequently. <laughs> yeah, if somebody was an officer in a scene, um, it was many times David, but anybody could play Officer Ortiz. Um, uh, if if you came in like with as if a police officer had one of those like larger flashlights sure. and was holding it over their shoulder, yeah, like looking at something. You knew that that was Officer Ortiz, um, which was just such a fun thing to have in one of those, like, just improv joys mm-hmm. where it's like, it's still improv, <laughs> but yeah. you, everyone on the team is having this little inside moment while yeah. still making people laugh on the outside. Mm-hmm. That's a very specific memory from early on that I always loved. Um, and then, like, I remember with our run with big baby, even just the, the first of all, the opening night to that was so cool and was packed. And that felt awesome Mm -hmm. to have that much support, especially when you're moving from a Saturday to a Tuesday, it's a little scary, but, um, it went so well. And then Tuesday at nine, Tuesday at nine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it went really well. And then to have some shows throughout that run where when any team had, a couple people missing mm-hmm. we would just do a joint show right and those were such a blast to to just have fun with other people who've been doing this for a while and um who know each other really well those those were always really fun yeah fun shows um but i think th- my biggest memories of the future come from uh our festivals together um in particular i remember the and this was pre-Rob, um, um, so that's the only reason I say that everyone was there. Um, when Caitlin arrived in Edmonton, she was the last one to come to Edmonton, mm-hmm. and I just remember like this overwhelming sense of like everybody's here, mm-hmm. everybody's like across North America <laughs> together right now. Yeah. Um, the five of us in this in this weird place yeah. um, doing this weird thing. Um, and just getting to explore different places with them. We went to Detroit and explored. We went into an abandoned zoo, which we were not supposed to be <laughs> in, um, which we learned when a park ranger found us. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so just just being able to do so many things like that with the team that you just play pretend with, like yeah. people that you were just thrown into a room with, but then ter- morphed into this somehow, yeah. has been... A very an unreal experience, just ridiculous. Because I remember having, I remember having this thought when I was cast of seeing Asteroid, and Asteroid had been going on for years, and being like, oh, I wonder what the next Asteroid would be <laughs> like. I wonder, I wonder if we can do what they did. I wonder if we can go for a few years, and I wonder if we can like really get good at this. Like wanting that so badly, and the fact that that came true not that we were the next asteroid but that we managed to do it for as long as we did longer yeah Yeah. and and did more and do so much it was just like unreal watching that come to life yeah was yeah yeah uh i am quite biased in these discussions Mm -hmm. uh because i've directed asteroid i've directed the future um but i i think that makes me qualified to say yeah Fusion was the next asteroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine saying that. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to have projects that have stood the the test of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which leads me to my question for you. Uh, as someone who has been on the future for five plus years, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> other than just not getting cut, what would you, what do you think are the keys to a team uh, doing as well as the future has? Um, hmm. uh, uh, for me, it was a lot of just connecting with them as people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think none of us on the future are anyone, I are, are anyone's absolute best friend in the world. Um, uh, but we all just shared this very deep connection and deep friendship with each other. Yeah. Um, that I think we were so, when you're willing to walk into a room and be like, uh, and in front of a group of people and just be like, I, I had a really crappy day and here's exactly why and not feel any judgment or any hesitation about that. Like that to me is such a good barometer of, of how connected you are with a group of people. Yeah. And once we got to that place after we went through some some drama of 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 losing people and and sort of working through that and are we going to get cut? Are we going to do this and um all of that. I think that connected us even more and I know I reached a point where speaking of my childhood trauma where I had I was like I'm not going to do good improv with these people until I tell them what I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. This is what I'm dealing with every other hour of this week uh, other than right now. And I can't not have them know that about me. Um, And I remember emailing you about that Mm -hmm. um, uh, before telling them. So I think that not that you need to tell your team every childhood trauma, (laughs) but, but being able to, to walk in there and connect with them um, so easily like that is just, uh, so crucial. And I think that's what I was so scared of losing when, when we stopped our current run, uh, mm-hmm. our, our most recent run, um, mm-hmm. was I was like, Oh, I'm losing these huge pillars that I see every week. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, yes, sure. it's, it's, we, it is so fun to do these shows, but the fact that I can walk in there and I can like count on these people to have my back and, mm-hmm. um, deal with me yeah (laughs) you know and get to play yeah for an hour you don't know what you're going to do but you know the for sure that you are going to have a great time it's like and people are going to be watching and loving it yeah yeah you know and and i think you know it's it was also just like not forcing it to happen too i guess because i think so many teams get in this trap of like oh we want to get really good we want to get really close we want to we want to do this. We want to do this. It's like, you kind of, I can say everything I can say about it, but at the end of the day, it was like lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways with the future. And, um, but I think being as open as you can with your team and genuinely having fun. Like if, if you watch the future for technically good improv, <laughs> like good luck. <laughs> good luck finding it, but it's yeah. good improv. Yeah. Like, uh, and and that's what I tell my classes all the time. I'm like, yeah. It, show me the the best improv show in the world, and I guarantee less than fifty percent of it will be 
technically good improv following all the rules. Like, yeah. Um, a so. couple quick things on yeah. what you were saying. Like we talked when we were, we mentioned when we were talking about classes, um, that, uh, one of the things that will make you as a student more comfortable is knowing the people that you are performing mm-hmm. with. Um, so you take that and you ex- expand that thought, not just over eight weeks. Like I even talk about it when I'm doing free intro workshops. I was like, think about how awkward you felt sitting down in the lobby. No one was really talking to each other. Uh, and now, you know, just at the end of the class, think about all the different things that you've done. You've learned people's names. You've, you've acted like a duck, you know, like yeah. weird stuff. You feel much more comfortable. Uh, so think about that feeling over the course of two months. Uh, and then you think about that over the course of weekly for five years. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. And as far as the, um, uh, lightning in a bottle, the way I look at the future, uh, is more as, um, the, uh, who is it that says it? Um, is it Michelangelo? Like he doesn't sculpt anything. He uncovers it. Is that this? Yeah. Like there, it, it wasn't like the future to me was not, um, uh, was there the whole time, but there was a lot of stuff that was oh, covered sure. that was covering it. Um, uh, and it just kind of over the course of, cause of the, like, we'll talk about it when we do that future podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> once everybody's back in town, uh, getting close with the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was, there was, there was some problems. Uh, there was some problems in the, um, oh, yeah. but the fact that that team didn't just survive, but like thrived through that, um, says a lot. Uh, and I meant, I probably mentioned this on the, uh, Fred Brown podcast, uh, the getting close with Fred Brown, uh, that it does say a lot that within the span of a few months, the team had a, uh, sold out main stage five year anniversary show, uh, and a sold out main stage, uh, 11 PM on a Saturday, <laughs> Uh, last of our regular run. Not even saying like, this is the final future show. Um, uh, this is the last of our regular run. We're probably going to do a show at another time. We just don't know when it's going to be. So you might want to come check it out. Um, says a lot, uh, about the feeling that people had for this feelings that people had for this particular have, I should say for this particular team. Um, yeah. Uh, and about that, uh, last show, how did last show the regular run? How did that, uh, feel like you were saying it wasn't just the, uh, it was people that you're just not going to see every single week, but what about the show in particular? How did you feel about that as the end of a run show? Uh, I mean, I was so proud of it as a final show. Yeah. Um, I think final shows get a bad rap, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. and, um, I was, it was, it was the future. Like that show was such yeah. a future show. Yeah. Uh, in any, in every respect. And I think that was honestly because we were just all in every scene. Yeah. Um, which is yep. so future of us. It really is. Um, but yeah, so that, I felt so proud of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and ending it by walking out to a drum line. <laughs> Starting it, 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 it was from top to bottom for, for us as a team. Starting the night with dinner at a place we always go to and coming to the theater and having champagne, but having to say something <laughs> nice about the group yeah. before you yeah. <laughs> had a sip of champagne uh, to then 
um, doing our usual warm up of making up a song to going on stage and doing a show where everyone was in every scene to yep. then going out on drumline. I, was like, I could not yeah. imagine a more us way to end our run. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was very, very happy with that, with that show and being able to play to a sold out crowd with people on the side of yeah. us and everything was so cool. Yeah. So cool. Uh, it may be the, I, well, I don't think it may be. I think it is the largest number of people that we've crammed into that main stage. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere around 120 or so, I yeah. think, yeah, if, if not more. Um, and there's always more, um, which is uh, pretty awesome. So what's next for the future? Um, I, we will be on the West Coast um, in February, um, uh, early February, um, and possibly late February. Who knows? We're doing some festivals next. Um, so we have one, we have one on the books, possibly two. And then hopefully we'll have some, uh, holiday action maybe. Um, okay. Uh, well, you know what? Let me ask you this. Ask it. Let me ask, let me ask, uh, let me ask you this. What are you not involved in that you are looking forward to seeing or doing? In, in the theater comedy world. Oh, and like at FIT or... Anywhere. Anywhere that I'm excited to see? Yeah. Wow. Um, that's... Oh, wow. This is, this is so hard. Um, it could be in town. Could be in New York. Uh, your second home. Oh, true. My second home... Um, oh, I'm super excited to see, uh, in that case, I, I mean, I couldn't be a part of it because that would ruin the whole show, but, um, Mike Birbiglia's yeah. new show that's going to Broadway. The new one. Um, yes, the new one. So I, um, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. I, I've always been a fan, honestly, his, his stand up, which is very, honestly more storytelling in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. Um, and Dignitaro, who's also much more of a storyteller, yeah. and Chris Gethard um, uh, are three of my, like, the three of the biggest inspirations for I'm Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say Hannah Gadsby, too, but she came after. <laughs> well, no, she yeah. was doing that show. I just didn't see it until after. <laughs> yeah. Didn't exist. Um, didn't, yeah. um, I did it first. Um, but, uh, so I'm super excited to see that. I love, uh, I love one person chose and the type of stuff that he puts up. Yeah. That's really exciting to me. I am excited to see that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me inviting myself along. Um, all right. Then, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we get out of here, Mal? All right. Uh, it's getting late on this Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for, uh, everything you do within the comedy community in general. Uh, and for, uh, all the stuff that you do at fit. For sure, as well. Um, and thanks for being... Thank you for being a friend. Uh, and thanks for getting close. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.